Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Janine. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. How are you? I'm doing well. What's your title how these is days? Editing, how is being the editor-in-chief of Eater? Oh, you know, it has its ups and its downs. <laughs> my, t- my title these days? Yeah. Because uh, I never mention it. Yeah, no, I, I feel am like I should. audience development and special projects producer. Should we add a few, like an ampersand should, and some, more some commas and stuff? Mm-hmm. At Vox Media. At Vox Media. This, believe it or not, is a special project. The podcast is a special project. That's true, actually. It fits. Mm-hmm. Okay. So today we have special correspondent Megan McCarran in the studio. You've heard from her before, but now she's actually here in New York because usually she's in Los Angeles calling from somebody's car or <laughs> her home. And we are going to talk about two stories that came out this week, uh, kind of revolving around, actually all revolving around Ken Friedman. It's true. It's all about Ken. So the stories actually focus on the women in Ken's orbit, um, which is a little annoying because as Megan and I often say, like, we wish this focus could be on Ken. Uh, He's the guy who... Did the bad things. Uh, to back up, he is accused of sexually harassing some of his employees at the Spotted Pig, um, threatening retribution, keeping them from getting jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What else? Sending them dirty text messages. Yeah. I mean. Kissing them in cars. There's. Bad shit like that. There's, yeah, just a litany of accusations. You know, also of creating an environment on the restaurant's third floor VIP room that earned it the moniker the rape room. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those accusations were that employees were required to work all night shifts at parties featuring public sex, I believe, in that room. Uh, really ugly stuff. And all at work. Like, imagine you were making a living in New York somehow, you land a job at a restaurant, and whoops, your boss tries to drag your head down in front of guests simulating you giving him a blowjob. Sounds bad. Yeah, pretty bad. So he has not spoken out really. He issued a quasi-apology when the news broke about this last year. And then he, um, I don't know if he's said anything since then. In in the story this week, he made a couple comments about being in therapy, but nothing really substantive. Uh, also, this week, news broke that the Ace Hotel is suing him for $5 million. So, $5 big, million. Dollars. Big Ken Freeman week. Um, we wanted to talk about the New York Times story, which involves April Bloomfield, his former partner, finally speaking out. She's been quiet on the issue for almost a year. And also a New York Magazine story about Gabrielle Hamilton, who almost, but then did not, partner with him on running the Spotted Pig. Dan, what do you think? <laughs> Where should we start? Oof. We really need to hear from a man on this, Dan. <laughs> no, <laughs> I really, I was the, walking over man. here. I was so ready to make a He's joke. He's like inching out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling my mic. <laughs> I was so ready to make some kind of great joke. Like for every, you know, for every good discussion about harassment, you got to have a straight white man in the room. Uh, so you're welcome. Just to referee. <laughs> <laughs> to referee. Uh, 
I think Gabrielle Hamilton is where we should start with this because I think that's where this news started to come back up. So, I mean, that's what I would be interested in hearing you two discuss mm-hmm. first. Okay, so backstory, you guys already all know this, but Gabrielle Hamilton, iconic chef and owner of Prune, uh, author of an amazing memoir, Blood, Bones, and Butter. Uh, she surprised the restaurant community, when was this, in July? Something June. Else? Sometime in the summer, June, by saying that she was going with her wife, Ashley Merriman, partner with Ken Friedman to kind of rehabilitate the Spotted Pig, bring it back, change the culture there, and turn it into a functioning restaurant. The problem people had with that was that Ken was still going to be an owner and make lots of money. And also the framing wasn't just, hey, this is an iconic and, you know, reportedly still profitable New York restaurant. You know, they came in saying... Not that they just wanted to make the restaurant run correctly, but use it as this zone of remaking restaurant culture. Mm-hmm. You know, they I think they re- referred to it as ground zero of a hurricane, you know, sort of presented it as their effort in the Me Too era to actually try to fix what's systemically wrong with restaurant culture, right? It's a culture rife with sexual harassment, you know, I'm sure enabling sexual assault. Um, there's a lot of systemic discrimination problems around sex and gender in the restaurant world. So their argument was like, well, we, uh, a married lesbian couple uh, who have good management styles, will go in and we'll fix a spotted pig and that will spark this grand transformation of the restaurant world as a whole. And also they were, they were friends with Ken and their take was you can't just cast them all away and hope they disappear. You need to actually work with some of these guys. Yeah, yeah. It was also very much, you know, what do we do with these men? We're not ready to ban them. We think that they could do better, you know. And and they were really, were friends with him. They catered his wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think something that gets lost when talking about these people who are all public figures, very prominent public figures, is there are also people who have restaurants in the same city and have known each other for a very long time. And like as food became a cultural force, right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't come into food necessarily thinking they would become as prominent as they have, I would guess. And then uh, about a month ago, uh, the staff at the Spotted Pig got an email, two different emails, I think, one from Ashley, one from Gabrielle. Yes. Saying that the deal fell through, they couldn't come to terms with Ken, and they were really um, saddened by it, and they're going to move on. Yes. And now this week... This big New York Magazine article came out just talk, talking about it with the two of them. There's a lot of good access there. What was new in the story? I think a couple things were new in the story. I mean, one was getting an actual interview with Gabrielle. Um, I don't actually I don't know how the Times communicated with her, but what she was sending out the first time around are these sort of pre-written manifesto-like press releases about their intentions. Mm-hmm. And then I also got on the phone with Ashley Merriman and got to kind of like talk it through a little bit more because like what happened, I think, when Gabrielle sent out these statements and then they ran on Eater and also I think pieces of them were also uh, similar to what was in the Times. You know, there's like this sort of big Twitter reaction where people were asking a lot of questions mm-hmm. and also making a lot of assumptions. So, And no one really got the chance to address those questions. Right. So I was, you know, I got to talk to 
Ashley and sort of talk through a little bit more of like what their thinking was behind this and what their approach was and what their intentions were. And that's sort of where she both talked about like, look, this guy's a friend. We have a relationship, but also we don't necessarily want to clean up his mess. We want to sort of do a new thing. Whether that's the right praxis for the Me Too era, I think is the food community seems to almost as one united force decided that that's not what we mm-hmm. want to do. We don't mm-hmm. want to go into one restaurant, re- rehabilitate one guy and, you know, risk losing a chance at a bigger systemic change. So one of the new things in the story was that it was an interview that they sat down with a reporter and sort of talked about these things. I think the biggest new piece of information was that the deal fell apart because Ken would not give up a manager's salary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they went into the pig. The deal wasn't even set in stone, uh, but they're retraining his staff. You know, not like, you know, they told New York Magazine they're cleaning out the fridges. You know, this is like down and dirty restaurant work. And, you know, they say from their point of view, the, the restaurant was literally short staffed because they needed a manager and Ken was taking a manager's salary in, in the six figures. And to save the restaurant, they sort of needed him to stop taking that money. He could keep his generous ownership stake right. and what probably what was one of the most profitable restaurants in New York for the past almost 15 years. Right. They were prepared to let him profit off the Spotted Pig in this partnership. They were not prepared to give him a giant salary On top while of doing nothing while they're cleaning up his mess. There's a little bit of ambiguity because the quote that Gabrielle offered, and I think this was also in the emails, was like, they didn't want Ken in the building and no mm-hmm. one did, but he still had this salary. Now, his people say the salary was just kind of a fee. So it's unclear how much Ken mm-hmm. has or hasn't been in the Spotted Pig since all this news broke, which is an interesting kind of open question. Mm-hmm. Which is so crazy because Amanda and I were talking last week that just he got so lucky and to not give up a little bit more. Like yeah. he was fighting. We, yeah, fighting we were wondering what it was that he wouldn't give up. Yeah. And now knowing it was the, the salary. It seems so crazy. It's like, nope, I've always liked my forks. You guys are out. Like, this is my get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, uh, it's somewhat related to the lawsuit because mm-hmm. a part of the Ace Hotel lawsuit was claiming that he was taking big management fees even though he said the restaurants were. I thought the lawsuit was saying that he had actually misrepresented. Mm-hmm. He misrepresented how much the restaurants were making and then was also – taking this big fee that they thought was inappropriate. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Megan, like, to you, though, this seems it's bonkers, right? Yeah, I think um, to treat the restaurant that you kept in a, in a splitting of, you know, what was a restaurant empire, um, a restaurant where you were credibly accused of creating a nightmarishly toxic culture of sexual misconduct to continue to try to extract money from it for as long as you can while bringing in women, queer women, people who are your friends to try to revive it. I mean, it's hard to imagine, like, what did he like? What did he want out of this if he wasn't willing to give up the salary to revive the restaurant? Mm-hmm. Was he looking to just be able to keep it viable for a bit longer? Are the financial straits so dire that he couldn't give up the money? Like, it's it's a really weird situation. Yeah, It's really striking the extent to which Ken Friedman seems to have mastered the art of 
creating a shield of women around his image and his behavior. Mm-hmm. And that there are women who will do that with him. Yeah, they tried to make it work. Yeah, I, that's like the theory Which of is mind more there. Than you could you <laughs> could even expect from anyone. You yeah. know, they put their reputations on the line, they put friendships on the line, and he couldn't give up that salary. Yeah, I mean, I think the other big piece of information in that New York Magazine article was the extent to which Gabrielle Hamilton and Ashley Merriman are angry with Ken, but also very angry at the community. At the community, and I think maybe... And surprised. And surprised. Like, there's sort of this sense of, like, well, we have our bona fides, so our bona fides should transfer, they should supersede whatever's going on at the Spotted Pig, which is kind of interesting. Like... Mm -hmm whose cultural power, whose cultural reputation supersedes which other thing, right? And it seemed like Gabrielle and Ashley thought they could walk into the spotted pig and overwrite the sort of sleazy and tragic image it currently has with their own. But instead what happens is it's stuck to them like tar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that from friends of her of, of Gabrielle's that she was so surprised at how quickly people turned and how no one gave her the benefit of the doubt. Because, like, that's how strongly people feel about these men. Like, there's a line you can't cross. And when you do, you're on the other side. Yeah, the, like, the logic of sort of the picket line here is is interesting. Because there's no, you know, there's no praxis around it. There's no official strike. There's no negotiation at the end. There's no contract these women want to win, you know, from the bad men. So I can see how consequences would feel unclear and right actions would feel unclear in various different contexts. Especially when you're not the person who did the the thing. But it does seem to that like the one thing that Me Too has been able to accomplish across many industries, but definitely in the restaurant industry, is to not allow the men who've been credibly accused, especially in big investigative pieces, to launder their image. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's like literally the only thing that Me Too has been able to like truly hold the line on in the past year. We've seen various men attempt to launder their images there. You know, Batali was apparently exploring a comeback like this is something they all want to do. And I think what hit a nerve was this the fear that Gabrielle and Ashley would help Ken launder his cultural image when really what needed to happen was for those men to be pushed out permanently so that women can step into mm-hmm. their places. Can we just back? So when when they originally announced that they were going to take it take it over, and, and just you, Megan, was there any way in your opinion they could have done it that you would have been okay with? I mean, I think because I was reporting on this, I'm not really interested in what I was okay or not okay on. That's what podcasts are for. (laughs) (laughs) Where you get to Um, talk about your true feelings. My true feelings. You don't need sources. (laughs) Um, I think it was interesting that even in the New York Magazine piece, there were some hypotheticals about the money. Mm -hmm. But I think it all comes down to the money. And I wonder what would have happened if Gabrielle and Ashley had made it more about money and less about this is how they're going to fix the culture. Because, like, I think it's really hard to make the argument in a movement built on solidarity and built on community and built on almost, like, a lack of exceptionalism amongst women. Uh, You know, like, you see it 
Um, there's a big women entrepreneur uh, meeting recently for the JBF, and um, like, and I'm doing a ton the of reporting. The Beard Foundation, yeah. And I'm doing a ton of reporting right now on queer women chefs, and they are all very. Mo- many of them are very like, oh, talk to her, talk to her. Like, let's mm-hmm. all hold each other up. So, in this moment, to think that you're going to change the culture by not engaging in solidarity, but instead of like sort of impulsively taking this action that you think you alone can spark a change, like that's probably not the right way to go about it because that's not what Meets You is built on. It's a communal movement. Um, it's sort of the opposite of a lot of American individualism. Hmm. But the most interesting thing to me about this story, and also when it comes to, in some ways, April Bloomfield, is not the cultural piece but the economic piece. Like it seems pretty clear in how this played out that Ken Friedman always controlled the money. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, I I guess according to New York Magazine, the Spotted Pig is struggling financially, but... I've definitely heard off the record that it's still profitable as well. But whatever's going on, like, that's a pretty successful restaurant. And if the only way the chef of the caliber of Ashley Merriman or Gabrielle Hamilton or both of them could get to walk into such a successful and profitable restaurant is to partner with someone like Ken Friedman. If someone who's been disgraced in the New York Times still has that much money and investors in Mm -hmm. power, like, that's fucked up. And that's not something that we are um, focusing on enough. Well, I think that's something that we kind of – we say like, oh, they, I wish they had said that because then we would be sympathetic to them. But maybe they didn't say it because maybe it's not true. Could, maybe Gabrielle, true. given what she's done, could could get whatever investors she wants. I'm sure people are always asking her to expand. And she does talk about that in the article, which I found a little surprising – is she was saying, like, the money is not something that's that important to her. And, like, she thinks of money as, like, controlling her. Like, she never wants to sell out. Like, her integrity is the most important thing. So, like, I was always saying I wish she would make it about the money. And, like, this this is how women are going to get money. And we have to pair up with these bad guys. And maybe that's a way we can all look, you know, and turn a blind eye to this. But maybe it really was just about the, quote, unquote, mm-hmm. integrity to her. But, you know, um, it's interesting that Ashley Merriman's voice isn't more in this, right? Because yeah. now she and her wife are cooking in one restaurant, the restaurant that her wife founded. And, you know, they've written – Gabrielle's written about this in the New York Times. It seems to be a very beautiful partnership. But also Ashley Merriman used to run the Waverly Inn, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she's a chef who understands how to walk into a hot New York restaurant and make it work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if she wanted a restaurant, if they wanted to expand – you know, you can think of a lot of men in either of their positions where the cost would not be so high to take investment, you know, and it would mm. be working with Ken Freeman would never be on the table because they'd get not just money, but like money that they could use to make an authentically wonderful restaurant. Right. I think what the argument here is, is like how much of this was about the money. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the open question. But also, mm. Amanda's also right to talk about they had a long relationship with Ken Freeman. And I do think there's also this very difficult aspect of Me Too is harder to talk about where 
what happens if it's a person you're close to and a person mm-hmm. you know so much about mm-hmm. and maybe you didn't know the extent to which they'd behaved, you know, in ways that are not just disrespectful to women, but are literally making it harder for women to make a living. Right. But I it does seem like some of it was also, especially in Gabrielle's telling, coming from if you have a relationship with this person, what is your responsibility to them? Mm-hmm. Well, and in her mind, like she's talking about people who, you know, you wear a T-shirt to the Oscars and then all of a sudden you think you're an activist. But like I've been getting arrested for years and years at protests and here I am trying to like do what in my mind is helpful to this community and helpful to these people. And everyone in the restaurant community turns their back. Um, I think that's how she was portraying it in the New York Magazine article. Yes. I do think, I mean, we were just talking about this with the collapse of... um the incubator space. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that is true is when a restaurant closes, the people who lose out the most are the people who are investors, right? So you can talk a big game about wanting to help a staff, but my understanding is in the New York restaurant world right now, you can get a good job yeah. pretty easily. So I do think that's the one thing that for me the logic is a little fuzzy on because, yes, everyone deserves good working conditions. People at the Spotted Pig deserve good working conditions and deserved good working conditions. That's why the New York Times investigation happened. But so much of keeping a restaurant open, especially a restaurant like that, is about protecting investor Mm -hmm. interests as well. Every week, The Eater Upsell helps you digest the latest hot topics in the world of food. Coming up next, hear an advertiser segment from Betterment about an easier way to digest life-changing financial advice. Ten years ago, the Great Recession sent shockwaves through the global economy. And in that uncertain economic environment, consumers were gripped with fear and doubt. 2008, it was, you know, the Great Recession. People in general had lost trust in the incumbents. And I thought there really ought to be an obvious best answer to the question, what should I do with my money? But there wasn't. That's John Stein, CEO of the financial services company Betterment, which he founded because he felt the economic industry was failing the average investor. Imagine a healthcare system designed with just a shelf of medicine, and you can go and you can take whatever you want, however much you want, but there's no doctors. Just just figure it out. And I think that's a crazy way to design a system that everyone has to use. I thought, how do we help people make great decisions, put the right kind of information in their hands to help them do better? So along with a team of experts, John developed an online financial advisor that could work for anyone. Maybe you're retiring or maybe you're thinking about buying a home or having a child in the future. We learn about those things and create goals for you and a financial plan. It's all the things that a great traditional financial advisor might do for you. But financial advisors charge, you know, maybe four times what what Betterment charges. Betterment, outsmart average. Please remember, investing involves risk. This has been advertiser content from Betterment. Thanks for that note from Betterment. To learn more about their tools, visit betterment.com slash eater. Amanda, you're a big fan of Sonos, are you not? I am. Sonos powers, uh, Sonos is, is how you cater the listening experience in your home. Oh my God, yes. Is it? In my room, I'm playing WNYC, which is my local radio station. And then in my kids' room, I'm playing some sort of like 
Hopalong Andy is the name of this music he's obsessed with, or Johnny Cash, his other favorite musician. Uh, and then I can, if I want, play something else in the bathroom and downstairs. And now Sonos has a new product, the Sonos Beam, to help get the most out of your television experience. Mm. So that means if there were five of you, mm-hmm. you could have an individual experience for everyone, including a cinematic one. I love it. Just like your other Sonos, Sonos works with all your favorite streaming services, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, etc. Start your sound system today. Go to Sonos.com right now to get your beam for just $399. Let's segue to talk about the other powerful woman in this Ken Friedman debacle, April Bloomfield. So she was his partner for... Since 2004, so... 14, I guess it was 13 years when this all went down. Um... She joined the Spotted Pig pre-opening. She was very young. She was in her mid to late 20s. He was um, a music industry guy with a lot of very famous friends. Mario Batali was a backer. They brought her on. She stayed with him for 14 years. And then they recently broke apart their partnership in like April. Uh, it was a week before the announcement that Gabrielle Hamilton intended to partner with him. That was also, I think, what stoked a lot of rational or not rational emotional Mm -hmm. response. Her silence has been interesting because, as you know, whenever there's silence, people can fill it with whatever speculation they would like. Um, Some people were very – they felt very strongly that she was complicit in everything, that she – as the co-owner, should have been responsible for taking care of her employees, that she turned a blind eye to this, that she was very aware of it and just ignored it. Um, A lot of others have thought of her as also a victim, that their relationship was very screwed up and that he was abusive to her and that because of the balance of power when she came in, she never felt like she could stand up to him. And now with this New York Times article, it's the first time she's actually speaking out about it. What are the big surprises in the piece? I think, first of all, it's not just, you know, people feel one way or another about her. I think her employees literally have had different experiences Mm, with that. Yeah, true. You know, several people have gone on the record to the Times to say they went to April about things that Ken had done. And April either passed it over to an HR person or didn't respond in a way that they thought was particularly vigorous. So that's definitely facts on the table. And then there are also people who speak glowingly of working for her Mm -hmm. or, you know, especially – People who are chefs who feel that she was a really important mentor for them. There's also people who worked in that kitchen who said it was a pretty rough and abusive environment. Right. There's a, Yeah. People are saying that she ran a tough kitchen. Yeah. And I'm not sure what's surprising in that story. I was always expecting a very complex mm-hmm. portrait to emerge. I think it's the allegation that Ken Freeman threatened her visa when she, you know, pushed back against him at least early on, is pretty, um, pretty chilling. Um, Freeman did deny it, and I think also there's being a shouty, you know, maybe sometimes um, abusive kind of manager as a chef, but I don't also think that that is on the same level as sexual misconduct in the workplace, mm-hmm. and I do think there's sort of an interesting desire and there has been for a long time to make a case that 
April was as complicit as Ken because I think the complexity of it where she was both somewhat beholden to him, you know, brought over to New York, had never been to New York. I mean, when you think about what we now know, it used to be sort of the legend of April, right? She Mm -hmm. was plucked by Mario Batali as a new talent and and whisked to go work at the hottest new restaurant in New York for Ken Friedman with Jay-Z and Michael Stipe as regulars. But now when you look back on it with what we know now, it's kind of chilling. You worry for that person. You know, someone who's like a sous chef at River Cafe, you know, plucked by two men who have now been very credibly accused of what's in some ways serial predation and mm-hmm. seem to sort of have a management style or business style that involves a lot of control and And they got to use her for credibility. For credibility. For years. For years. And so, you know, she sort of presents feeling powerless that through that whole relationship because of how it started. I think we all have responsibilities as humans to understand what our power is in situations. And I think trauma can make us underestimate that power in Mm -hmm. ways that are equally toxic. But I do think when you think about where she started in that group, what the environment was and how isolated she must have been for a long time, it's just one of the most sort of tragic Me Too stories to have been sort of folded into complicity and mm-hmm. not fought back. Right. Like the, there's no one saying that she didn't screw up. Like she's saying she screwed up. Yes. I think what each person has to decide if they are, you know, trying to make a decision about this is like, how much do you hold her responsible for? Like as the, as the co-owner, as someone who managed all these people, did those people deserve someone who would stand up for them and protect them? Or was she, in my mind, I kept thinking as I was reading the story, like, you need to leave him, you need to leave him, you need to leave him. And it reminded me of reading about um, domestic violence and how you can't just keep telling a wife to leave the husband who's beating her because there's so much psychological complexity to it. Um, I mean, that's definitely the story that she's trying to put out there. So it's hard to figure out how to feel about it. I think we don't want to absolve anyone who enabled this culture but I think we're not sure in general okay we're not going to offer absolution but I think also there's this sense that like we need to find out what accountability is Mm -hmm. and also I think when it comes like you know if we're going to talk in a language of abuse there's this sort of thing we've lost track of where until the Harvey Weinstein story broke and until stories broke about John Besh and Mario Batali and Ken Friedman and Charlie Hallowell. I think it was pretty unimaginable that just getting on the record these stories of misconduct in the restaurant industry would be enough to force these men out. Mm-hmm. You know, for so long women didn't speak out because they were afraid of being blacklisted. What do you think, Dan? <laughs> What's your take? Uh, I think it's worth talking about Ken uh, saying when he when he plucked April or whatever that he thought it would be cool to have a young female chef at, as part of his brand image. I'd like to, I mean, I, I'm so curious what his thought process is then talking to Gabrielle Hamilton. Is is he trying to fill, like, is he just, is he thinking, well, I have success with someone like April Bloomfield. I'm going to go another woman with Gabrielle Hamilton. Like, what? Well, it was his only way to launder yeah. his image. He couldn't just partner with some bro. I mean, he didn't need to partner with anybody. Yeah. And I mean, notably, you know, there's a 
woman running the kitchen at Del Posto now. Mm-hmm. You know, Lydia Bastianich and Nancy Silverton were put on the board of that group immediately. Like, there's this instinct to do this very complex thing where women are both being presumably meaningfully empowered in these groups, but it's also a means of keeping the groups alive mm-hmm. rather than them failing. That reminds me of the um, Charlie Hallowell 12 point redemption plan, <laughs> which is a story that broke at the end of last week. This is this Oakland restaurateur who's been accused of sexual harassment by 30 employees um, who presented a 12 point plan. And, and a lot of it was about like, oh, well, I installed female GMs at the restaurants and I have a female only advisory board now and the woman who's the CEO she controls my salary and it's just like (laughs) putting up this whole guard of women around him to protect him yeah and it's a little like oh well he was a bad boy so now they all need moms yeah and they'll they'll take care of things now and I mean literally Lydia Bastianich is Joe Bastianich's mom right like (laughs) that's not great and I think also I remember at one point, asking the Batali Bastianich group, like, okay, so what's Nancy Silverton's stake now? You know, I think that's mm-hmm. the real question, too. It's like women in the restaurant world are doing a ton of work right now. Yep. So much work. And I who's think who's getting paid? <laughs> who's getting paid, right? Like, I think that work can feel meaningful. I think it could create real change. Mm-hmm. But I also think women need to be leading this work but they should not be asked to do so much of this work and if they are going to be asked to do that much work then they should be getting paid like these men who profited handsomely off their images for you know a decade right well on that note thank you megan mccarran for joining us thank you amanda clute for having me Uh, thank you dan janine as always remember ken ken's the bad one (laughs) the end we can discuss gabrielle and april all we want but ken's ken's the one to look at Thank you all for listening. Join us again next week as we talk about, I don't know, we're still discussing what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe meat. Yeah. Maybe Bogota. Maybe inst- Both. Instagram fast casual stuff. I don't know. There's a Maybe lot. Instagramming meat in Bogota. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's not that far-fetched. No. The news today seems really grim. And it sometimes focuses more on problems than on solutions. I'm Dylan Matthews, the host of Future Perfect, a show about possible solutions. Solutions that are a little weird and a little wild, but worth considering. What will people say if I treat this person who murdered someone's loved one kindly? Simply tell the Border Patrol to take the day off. Tell them to take the year off. Listen to Future Perfect every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.